Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fassett. On this episode, we get to meet Jess Williamson. Jess Williamson is a singer-songwriter from Texas who has just released this year her fifth album, and also probably her most acclaimed album yet, called Time Ain't Accidental. In this chat, Jess and I do talk a lot about that album, which came out back in June, but in a nice twist from my usual conversations, we were able to be more reflective on the year as opposed to anticipatory. So we get to talk about what these songs from Time Ain't Accidental mean to her now in the wake of them versus in the lead up. We talk about touring, we talk about vulnerability in songwriting, and how on this album she tried to be a little less precious in the recording studio by embracing her own natural voice and welcoming imperfections. We also touch on rediscovering her love of her native Texas. We touch on who would be on her country, Mount Rushmore, and her dream about Adrian Lanker. So stay tuned for that. It was a really fun conversation, a little bit circuitous in the best way, and I was really grateful to have this little bit of time with Jess Williamson. So thank you for listening. Please enjoy. This is me meeting Jess Williamson. It looks like you have some creamer involved. I do. Based on the I color. Have, yes, I have like a vanilla cream because cool. I'm not a big coffee snob and I don't like coffee enough to have it black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not a total purist. No, I'm really not. I've never been able to get on board. You can what probably is, tell that I also am not a yeah, purist. What is that you're holding? This is an iced oat milk latte oh, from nice. a coffee shop. Mm. A coffee shop that doesn't use straws, so it's mm-hmm. got the like sippy cup, yeah, situation that I always spill on myself, and I Me already too. spilled it on myself. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter what advancements we make in plastic engineering; it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like you'll probably oh that was that was a clean sip. Yeah, no, I'm usually good at it, but if I get at all distracted, it's like I know, or like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'll have to mix it myself because whoever made it didn't really mix it well, and so I, I do the stir thing, and it just goes everywhere. Yeah, like that's I know not exactly what you're talking yeah, about. That's not useful. Um, though I do appreciate eliminating straws in theory. You know, in theory. Yeah, although paper straws are bad too; they dissolve in my coffee, so. I know. They're like disgusting. I know. I don't know what the winning situation is. I guess um, carrying your own Mm. glass straw at all times. That's ideal. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember like years ago during the Obama administration when he like gave out phones? No. Oh, yeah. There was. a. I mean, I don't know how legit this is, but there was a video of like people receiving like government issued cell phones and they they like jokingly called them Obama phones. That's amazing. It is amazing. So we should have Biden straws. That's such a <laughs> like, like, let's do it. Save the planet. That's such a good idea. Yeah, I don't know why no one saw that. Anyway, this is not a coffee podcast, believe it or not. Um but I love a good tangent and starting off with a tangent tells me that we're in for a nice chat. Um, so thank you again. I'll say again, in case I cut off myself at the beginning, thank you, Jess Williamson for joining me today. 
Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, it's kind of fun, you know, every year I've done this is my third, I think, like coming into end of year time doing the show. And I haven't been able to do this as much as I want, but it is fun when I get to like catch up with someone who had something earlier in the year and then kind of just like we're kind of just hanging out at the end of the year and sort of talking about what happened these past few months, you know, because usually I talk to people who are on the cusp of releasing something or it's coming in a few months. But for you, your last record, Time Ain't Accidental, came out months ago in June. Yeah, came out June 9th. It came out in late spring. Feels like a real summer record, but it came out mm -hmm. in late spring. Um, and here we are in November on the, on, on, the, on the precipice of holiday season talking about the year you've had. That's so fun now that you so, put it that way. Yeah, I don't that's... usually get to do this either. You know, most of the chats happen in the lead up, like you're saying. Mm, so now we mm -hmm. get to we get to reflect. Exactly. Yeah, we get to I reflect. Love. We get to be introspective. Um, yeah, I mean, it is fun getting to talk to people when like I've heard an album and like maybe writers have heard the album, but no one else has heard the album. And so we get to talk about things that aren't out yet and like what they're excited about people hearing and that's always fun too, but I do like these reflective end of year moments. Um, and you've had a big year, big year or two, really. So I'm glad did you you're say, here. What'd you say? Big year or two? Is that or two? Saying? Yeah. I know it does feel like kind of a big year or two. Totally. Yeah. Cause last was it last year you had the planes record? Yeah. Like one year ago, like one year ago we were on tour. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of been like, go mode ever since planes yeah. kind of got announced which was july 2022 mm -hmm. and then it was kind of planes season and then pretty much not long after that i announced my record mm -hmm. and in the in between time i was doing all the behind the scenes stuff like making music videos shooting the album art, you know getting everything ready yeah so this is like kind of my downtime here at the end of the year. I mean, I have a couple little things coming up, but yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited that we get to reflect. Yeah. Being, being reflective, pausing, you know, it's not something we get to do all the time. So thank you for coming and pausing with me. Thank you. For um, the and yeah, and you are on the, you are about to go on a tour early next year, but yeah, you are kind of in this sort of like in between moment right now. So I'm, I'm happy I could catch you. Um, all right. So as we mentioned, Time Ain't Accidental came out in June this year on Mexican Summer. Um, so now that you have released it, you've done a few videos, you've done a lot of promo, you've toured it quite extensively. Um, how are you feeling about the world of Time Ain't Accidental now in the aftermath versus the lead up? It's been really cool to talk to people that know the album I think that's probably the most rewarding thing now because mm -hmm. I got to go on tour all over America and into Canada a little bit this year and you know I'm really big on going to the merch after the show and like talking to people and you know it was like we had COVID so there was no touring and then there was like the era of like covid touring right, <laughs> where right. it was like i did a few tours but it was really like you know masks and like don't 
go like talk to people, like, you know, because everyone's trying to not get sick, obviously. Mm -hmm. And this year was the first time where, you know, I was just like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to go to the merch every night. I'm going to talk to people. And I haven't gotten to do that in years. Mm. And so it was so cool to meet people and talk to them. And, and people brought me things like people brought me presents. Like people had me, like one of the things that surprised me the most that started happening is people are bringing me Raymond Carver books <laughs> to sign for them. They want me to sign their Raymond Carver books, which seems a little bit blasphemous, but <laughs> also I'm happy to do it and sure. touched that like anyone would even, you know, put me and him in the same sentence. I mean, I realize I like reference him in a song, but yeah, I mean, you know, I was going to say, I'm, I never... <laughs> I'm glad that the average concert goer is even finding a Raymond Carper book and like has a copy of it. I don't know if they'll ever read it. I Maybe know. it's just for the signing, but hopefully they read it. Crack it open. Well, hopefully, right. Maybe so. I didn't even think about that. Like I have this song, the title track of the record, Timing Accidental, which talks about reading Raymond Carver at a pool and mm-hmm. it's like true i was reading a book <laughs> a real physical book and maybe this will encourage people to crack open a real physical book let's do it i mean i'm i'm an english teacher in my daily life so oh really so yes please crack open what, a book. um what do you teach i teach 11th and 12th grade english what books do you guys read um, well, my juniors are about to get into the great Gatsby and, oh my <laughs> and, uh, my seniors are at the end of Canterbury tales and about oh. to get into Macbeth. So cool. Yeah. So one yeah. of my favorite lines from a book ever is from the great Gatsby. Mm. And I read that in high school too. And I'll always remember it because I actually wrote it on my bedroom wall because <laughs> um, I had kind of like a cool mom that would just let me and my friends like draw all over the walls, like in my bedroom. And the line, I wonder if you will know it. I hope so. <laughs> it's, um, and we drove on towards death in the cooling twilight. Oh, that is a good one. I don't remember the context. Do you? Yeah, they drive a lot in that book. I don't remember exactly where it is, but yeah, I that's a good one. It. I haven't read it since high school. You know, I will say, and this is not just because I'm an English teacher, but I read it in high school, obviously too. And like, I thought it was fine. Like I liked it. And then I read it again when I started teaching because I was about to teach it. And I was like, well, shit, I haven't read this in, you know, eight years. Um, and then I read it again as an adult and I was like, this is like the best fucking book. Wow. Like, it's so good. Like even the line you just you just remembered, like his language is just mm-hmm. beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, and that is something I think that my kids don't fully appreciate. <laughs> Maybe they will though. But I hope that so. was the age for me. That was the age where I started to get really into books and like words and poetry. Like we were reading a lot of like um I think in 11th grade what we did was like a lot of postmodern literature. So I think it was mm. like Great Gatsby, like poetry, like E.E. E. Cummings. Right, right. That kind of stuff. And I was Hemingway, like blown yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Do your we... students know about your podcast? Um, I don't like tell them about it, but they find stuff out. Like just today, actually, literally just today, um, the student that I've had for a year and a half who knows me pretty well came in and he was like, 
Mr. Fusa, I, I heard that you uh you work with the needle drop, which I do. Um, <laughs> and I was like, did you just Google me? Like I feel like oh my I feel like if I was my student, I would Google all my teachers right away. <gasps> like in this day and age, I feel like it's so easy to find stuff. I would just Google everything. So they must know about it. Or maybe, maybe they, they don't just care. They don't I don't think they care. That's the thing. Like I I follow someone on on Twitter or X or whatever, and he's a music writer and he's also a teacher. He's a science teacher. And he posts all the time about his students' music taste. And it's like amazing. Like they listen to like amazing artists who are making great work. And then my students come in and they listen to terrible work. So mm-hmm. it is what it is. <laughs> I when I was in school, it- like Google wasn't as much of a thing. I don't know. Like people weren't as like Googleable. Right, right. But I guess sure. now it's yeah, totally different time. I was a substitute teacher for a while. Mm. And were you, were you making music while you were doing that? Yes, it was when I was living in Austin, and I was like coming up in music, like starting to put out records, starting to tour, and like that was my day job. I was like tired of working at like bars and restaurants. And so a friend of mine who was a musician told me about substitute teaching. And he was like, it's amazing because you just like pick up shifts when you want to work. And then when mm-hmm. you need to go on tour or whatever, it's like, you don't have to like ask off. You just like, don't pick up shifts. So it's like, right. that's perfect. So even though it was like less money, it's funny. It was less money to be a substitute teacher than to like be a waiter, yeah. you know, but I was into it because of the flexibility, yeah. but then kind of towards the end when like, cause I was in high schools mostly. And when the kids started to like get to know me better, they did start to like find stuff and like mm-hmm. comment on my Instagram and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And every now and then I'll get a comment on like a YouTube video. It'll be like, you were my sub <laughs> like in science class. Like, <laughs> See, it's cute when you're not there anymore. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is weird. It's weird to have Googleable things about myself. Like I was a film major in college. So like you can find, like videos, like films I've made, like short films I've made. You can find writing I've done because I write for Beats for Minute. Um, I do make music, though not under my own name. And I think I think that's been safe. I'm not mm. sure. But again, as you say, and, and people have told me this too, like they don't really care. I don't think they yeah. care. Like they might think it's hilarious for like a moment and then they're over it. So it's totally. fine. So, I mean, I hope they know about it. I hope they think it's cool, but I have, I had, I don't think they give a damn, <laughs> which is fine because then I get to talk about whatever I want. <laughs> totally. Um, all right. So, yeah. So as you mentioned, like we are in this space now, you were touring and you will be touring again soon where people do know the record. Um, so you've played these songs. I know that this record was particularly specifically personal. Um to some of the things you were going through in the lead up. Um, Was it ever like, I mean, it's not that you've never written about yourself before, obviously, but is it ever nerve wracking to you still to like get super, super vulnerable and then play it on stage? Not really for some reason. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. No, it's good. I just, it's hard for me to get inspired to write a song unless it's, about my life really Mm -hmm. and so that just happens to be the place where inspiration comes from and usually it's when I'm really upset and so a lot of those songs on this record you know I might have written 
three years ago or something. So it's like the feeling has changed and evolved, Mm -hmm. but the song came, you know, in a particularly acute moment. And I hope that I don't hurt anyone's feelings. I mean, I do think about that. Like, I don't want anyone to get their feelings hurt, but at the same time, I think that anyone that's been close enough to me to have a song written about them understands. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a common, maybe not fear, but worry is that like, I'm writing this super personal song. I'm not going to name them obviously, but like if they hear it, they'll know that it's about them. Um, And even though no one else will know, it's like, it is that like, they're going to know. So. Well, what's funny about this record is like, um, I think that people might be surprised. Like not every song is necessarily about who you might think. Right. (laughs) You know, so it's, that's kind of a funny thing too, where I'm like, there's all kinds of different things that I went through. Like I, I have a good friend who's a songwriter and he, he and I were talking about this very thing. And and he was, he mentioned one of his like saddest songs. And he was like, that's about a girl I went on one date with. And I'm like, I know what you mean. Like, like some of these songs on timing accidental, you know, were inspired by like a really brief encounter, but it can Mm -hmm. bring stuff out of you that then turns into this whole song and then takes on a life of its own. Right. But the, real thing it's based off of is actually pretty minor in the big scheme of things, but you get a song out of it. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of the best is when you like secretly you're like, this is not like, this wasn't a huge deal guys, but I'm going to write this really pained song about it. Yeah. I I do love Mm -hmm. that. Um, but like, so like, because we're being very tangential right now, um, I am currently like in the midst of writing, an album that's like all about this friend of mine who's like practically ghosted me at this point and like how painful that is and I just keep thinking like oh god if she hears this like I feel like she'll know and then on the other hand I'm like I don't really care anymore if she knows because I feel like there is a little bit of that relinquishing of like this happened so let's talk about it and if you want to talk about your end then you you write something you know what I mean yeah absolutely yeah and it is kind of nice to uh get it down you know just to get it mm-hmm. get it down in some way um i also saw in the lead up to this record um this thing about how you you said something or you were quoted as saying something to the effect of that your voice felt different on this record mm-hmm. and i was and liberated i think was a word you also used um could you i don't know if you could expand on that or like what that felt like for you what that means well i think that Everybody, you know, as time goes on, I think you learn how to sing better or you learn how to use your voice maybe more effectively. And mm-hmm. I've always thought that the best singers sing kind of how they talk. Mm-hmm. And my voice naturally is imperfect and scratchy sometimes and quirky and my favorite vocalists are that way. Mm-hmm. I think I had on my album Sorceress, like I'm really proud of that record. And I was trying really hard to sing like perfectly on that right. record. That right. was like something that I thought mattered. And I 
did take after take after take of the vocals because I wanted it to be perfect. And now, you know, I, that was, I made that record in 2019. So now it's almost four years later. And I've learned that, um, actually embracing those imperfections is so much more interesting Mm -hmm. and not to dog on my own album. I'm really proud of the record, but when I listen to it, I can hear that I was really trying to like eliminate everything about my voice that made it special actually. And so when I went in to make the planes record, who Brad cook is who produced the planes record. And then Brad cook also produced my record timing accidental. Mm -hmm. So the planes record was my first time working with him. And I was really nervous about the vocals. And I was like, doing all these warm ups and like really like getting stressed, like about to go in there and like do a bunch of takes. And I just remember Brad being like the most important thing about the way your voice sounds has everything to do with what's going on up here. And he points like at his mind. Mm -hmm. It's like, you just need to relax. Like don't stress about this. And Mm -hmm. So with the planes record, we did a handful of takes and that was it, you know, yeah. and I was really skeptical of if that was going to work out and then it totally worked out. And so then that was a big learning experience for me. And so mm-hmm. then when I went in, so then I wanted to make my record with Brad because I had such a good experience making the planes record with him. And so when I went back in to make my record with Brad, it was a very similar approach where I'd kind of like learned that lesson already and I didn't overthink the vocals. And in fact, like sometimes I would like not even warm up Hmm. and just record like a scratch vocal and we'd end up using that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when it was like, you know, official vocal time, same deal. Like I would do a couple takes and that was it. And, and I'm so like happy about that. Cause yeah, when I listened the timing accidental like the number one thing that i felt when that album was done and i was listening to it and it was like nobody had heard it yet and i was on a long walk just like listening through it all the way i felt like this is me this feels so me in mm-hmm. every way like i'm in here and i'm not trying to be something i'm not i'm not trying to change this or that. I'm not trying to emulate anyone else. You know, it just is really me. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with like, just not really overthinking yeah. a lot of things, but especially the vocals. Yeah. Is it, is it fun now then on tour to, to sing the Sorceress songs the way you really, really want to sing them? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's like freeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I notice, you know, I have noticed over the course of your discography, you know, your earlier records um, have a lot uh, more like long songs, kind of more patient, dreamier songs. And then we kind of slowly get up to now. And on Time and Accidental, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure nothing is over four minutes. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, no fat. It's just like, here is the record. Um, yeah. And it feels like there is kind of a through line there of like your, your development of your songwriting voice, you know? Yeah, thank yeah. you for noticing. I mean, really it all kind of changed, started to change with Cosmic Week because my first two records, I 
you know, I self-released them. I didn't have a label or anything. And I was really just like finding my way as an artist. And like my first record, Native State, I wrote almost entirely on the banjo and, you know, recorded it like in a friend's DIY space and put it out myself. And, you know, Heart Song, like went into a studio and it's more of a live record and a lot of it was about kind of jamming with the band and creating like a feeling in the room. And a lot of my songs were really sad and really mm-hmm. slow because that's just where I was inspired. Right. And also I love sad, slow music. So it's also just the music I like. And yeah. then I went on this tour where I opened for Kevin Morby in Europe. Um, this would have been in like the fall of 2016 and I was solo opening for him, you know, playing my quiet contemplative sad songs. Mm -hmm. And then he and his band would take the stage and have a blast (laughs) and the crowd had a blast and I had a blast watching every night and it really got me thinking like, well, I want to have fun live. I want to like make songs that people can like sing along and dance to because yes, I'm really inspired by sad music, but I myself am, I mean, you could probably tell in this conversation, like not really a somber person, you know, Mm -hmm. like my personality is different than, than, you know, a lot of the music I was making at that time. And that's what kind of got me started. Like just thinking about how to write a catchy song and a shorter Mm -hmm. song and a fun song. And then also that was around when I moved to Los Angeles. And so just kind of being in a new environment really opened my mind a lot. And so I think it's just been a journey ever since of like, I didn't really think of myself as a songwriter for a long time. And then I started thinking of myself as a songwriter and thinking about the craft of songwriting Mm -hmm. and how to get better at that and what that means. Yeah. You know, I'm still learning, but yeah, it's definitely been, like you said, a through line through all the records. And like, for example, like on timing accidental, one of the saddest songs on that record is called a few seasons. And I wrote that song on the piano it was super long. It was super slow. It was this ballad. It was really sad. And I brought that into my, you know, ses- my first sessions with Brad. And he was like, listen, like the, the most powerful songs are super fucking sad lyrically, but musically they don't necessarily have to be. And you can really lose a listener by demanding so much attention and patience, you know? And so we really reworked that one in the studio and, and made it, you know, something that really fits with that album. And it's, yeah, it's like, I think as a songwriter, you have to like decide, you know, do you, do you want to write songs that people are going to want to listen to and like dance to and sing along to, or do you want to like have a therapy session for yourself and like, (laughs) And maybe sometimes it's both, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely sympathize with that. You know, if I go back and look at, like, songs I wrote in my early 20s, like, they, first of all, they're not very good. But second of all, like, 
a lot of them are slow and long, five, six minutes. And it's like, there's something about, I think, when you're finding your footing as a songwriter that you have this, maybe not everyone, but like the singer-songwriter type people like myself and and and, and sort of like you, you know, we, you, so when you start off finding your footing, it's like, I got to get all these words down and it has to sound exactly how I feel. And if you're writing a really sad song, it's like naturally my my body anyway wants to make it as slow and plotting as possible. And it has long verses and it has like no chorus and it's just like kind of going on and on. And then, yeah, you have to realize, oh, I could like sculpt something out of this, you know, and make like a new yeah. home for it, so to speak. Yeah, no, it's such a good point. I know exactly what you mean. It's It's hard, I think, to edit yourself yes exactly because like the songs are so personal and you want you know every verse it's like it means so much to to you as the as the author of the song and that's something that I've been learning over the last couple of years is like yes and maybe I needed to write that song that way that night at my piano mm-hmm. but then when you're actually making a record it's helpful, I think, too, to like have a producer or a collaborator that you really trust to say, yeah. like, let's take out that verse. You know, we right. don't need that verse. The song's stronger without it. Sometimes it can be hard to see that when you're by yourself. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, it's hard to be in a vacuum and have any sort of critical eye on your work. Like, I make all my shit completely alone, and I would probably never post anything or upload anything or publish anything now without sending it at least to a couple people. Be like, hey. Like, I'm too in this, and I've heard this 57 times. Like, can you point at something mm-hmm. I'm not seeing? Because yeah, you're you're too in it sometimes. You're too involved in that world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, speaking of your voice, um, literally of your voice, uh, another thing that I noticed in the Plains uh, press cycle was a lot of talk about accents. Mm. because you and Katie both have these Southern accents um, that she at least said, you know, I felt like I was suppressing mine for so many years. And so now like finally being able to feel comfortable, like, no, this is just, this is my voice and this is what you're going to get. And it does feel like on this record of yours, that your natural voice and your natural accent kind of comes out a little bit more. I mean, was that something you noticed while you were doing it? Not really. I didn't really notice it. Because it's kind of that thing of just not just letting my voice kind of just be right natural and just how it sounds and not doing a bunch of takes. Mm-hmm. So it just sort of happened. And I think it's it wasn't really intentional. It's just kind of like, I think all part of this process of like becoming more comfortable just being myself because right. I think like for me it was less the like accent thing like I know that that Katie had that experience for me it was like I just wasn't really proud of Texas for a long time like yeah. growing up in Texas I just wanted to get out I just mm-hmm. wanted to move to New York or LA or Paris you know as soon as possible because the whole world was somewhere else. Like right. it certainly wasn't in in Dallas, Texas, you know? And then, and I think this happens to a lot of people actually, like it took me moving away to really appreciate 
Texas and where I'm from. It's like I had to kind of lose it to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my record Cosmic Wink, like, it's funny. It's like when I listened to like my first two records, Native State and Heart Song, that's when I was living in Texas and Austin. And I wasn't like trying to make a record that sounded any sort of way, but like when I moved to LA and I made Cosmic Wink, I was like, okay, this is like my LA record. You know, <laughs> it's like I moved to LA. And then starting with Sorceress, that was the first record where I really intentionally wanted to involve country elements because I was having this experience of falling in love with country music. It like mm-hmm. took me moving to LA to really start falling in love with country music again. Yeah, that makes sense though. I mean, are, are you are you based in Texas now? Well, I'm like a part-time person. So okay. I'm part-time in LA and I'm part-time in Marfa, Texas. Have you ever heard of Marfa? That's I have heard of Marfa, yes. There, there's, so I'm there's splitting lots of time. art there. Yes, there is. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like splitting time... But it's kind of like I split my time between three places because like the third place is tour. So, um, but you know, I love LA a lot and I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep the LA part going just because I really love Texas. You know, I I don't know that Marfa can be my 100% of the time place because it's so remote, Mm -hmm. but, um, I just love Texas and it's like where I want to be. It's where I want to really put roots down. It's where I feel at home. And now that I am touring a lot, it's, it's just like the place that I want to come home to. Yeah. So my last question about time and accidental specifically is about this glorious cover art that you have, Mm. um, which is so fun and like strange and yet very indicative i think of of the record in some ways so for those who who don't know uh if you have not seen the record it is you on the front with this sort of big smile and in the background is this like purple burst of lightning and so it is this like dichotomy between this like very pleasant you know almost like i don't know i don't know what to call it like almost like i wanted to say coy smile and it kind of is i guess in a way but in the back there's this raging storm and I'm wondering, how did you get there? And then how did you know like that was the image for this record? Well, out here in Marfa, lightning like that is not uncommon, actually. Um, certain times of year, especially during the summer, there will just like be lightning storms. And so over the years, I've seen, you know, friends of mine capture photos like that, where mm-hmm. it's like, like, there's this one photo that a friend of mine took of his girlfriend at the time. And she's just like standing, like kind of in the middle of the road with this like crazy lightning behind her. And then, so when I was thinking about what I wanted the cover to be, I felt like I knew I wanted lightning. Mm-hmm. And my boyfriend actually shot that photo and basically it was this thing where you know it wasn't like a big planned shoot because you can't 
plan right. for the lightning. So we just went out like over and over and over again. I would just like put the dress on and we would just go to like different, different areas around. Cause it was, I was in Marfa and I'm just like different areas around town where like we could hopefully get a good view of yeah. lightning. And that yeah. was like, we were tre- actually trespassing <laughs> because like right after he shot that photo, this like truck pulled up and like kind of like gave us a hard time and we had to leave, you know, but it mm. was like, I think we got it. I think we got it. But I, my computer was broken. And so we were just shooting on like this old digital camera I have from like so long ago. And we could just barely see like the back little back screen. And I, and I could tell, but it was like, I couldn't totally tell, mm-hmm. but I was pretty sure we had it. And then I finally like got a new computer once I got back to LA and like pulled it up and it was like, yeah, there it is. Like, that's, that's just it. it. I mean, it just worked. And, and the thing is like the lightning thing for me, symbolically, it's everything you're saying about like, there's this storm in the background, but also to me, it really speaks to this idea of like, there are no accidents, you know, like mm-hmm. the, like being able to capture lightning is like, you know, in a photo feels like it must be an accident. But to me, like the real message of the album is there are no accidents and like everything happens for a reason, including like the way time works out and timing of things. And you can't really plan, you know, there's like this phrase, like um, when we make plans, God laughs, you know, Mm. and there is this bigger plan unfolding and you can just kind of trust that it's going to be okay. Even if things seem like they're really not working out according to your plan, right? There are really no accidents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, capturing lightning. Yeah. It sounds like an accident, but at the same time, it's, it almost can't be, it like has to be intentional because it's so quick. You have mm-hmm. to try to capture lightning. So yeah, that's kind of an interesting, like subversion of that idea. And, and, and all, like, was it important to you for it to be Texan lightning? Yeah. 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 Um, So maybe this is going to be a a big or or, or maybe slightly unfair question, but I saw in, I was doing these notes and I was like looking at some past press material and past like reviews and stuff. And, and throughout the reviews of this record, there are quite a few mentions of some of the greats of this genre, which you probably already are aware of, but people, you know, like Emmylou Harris and Lucinda Williams and like these voices that have been around for decades and are totally, totally, totally lionized. Um, What does it mean for you as someone who is at a very different point in your career than people like them who are now fully embracing your love of this kind of music? Like, what does it mean for you to be included in that kind of company? It's such an honor. Yeah. I mean, really... I love reviews. I love reading <laughs> reviews. I think it's Put that so on the box, cool. people. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so cool that someone yeah. would listen to my music and take the time to write something about it. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't mean I like everything that gets sure. said. Right. Um, but I I think it's such a fascinating, cool little what's the word I'm looking forward? Like, um, like it's not normal. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not a yeah. normal experience, right? Yeah. Like, um, 
and so it's like I love it like when stuff comes out people wrote about my record and and that someone would be thoughtful and take the time and then to compare me to people who are my heroes is really it's it's amazing because those people are huge influences on me and so I just think how cool that that could be coming across you know and like Mm -hmm. and being Lou Harris especially I mean I really love her and Bonnie Raitt is another one. I actually mm. got to meet her recently and I started crying. I was like, not cool <laughs> at all. I did not in any way keep my cool. But like these women that, you know, they're a few generations older than me and they are performing and making records and singing, you know, that's the kind of career that I want to have. Mm. I never, you know, saw myself as like, someone that would kind of just do it when I was young and then like move on. Like it would just always seemed like, I just want to, you know, I want to be, you know, 65 up there, like performing and singing is just the only thing I want to do. And so I love that, you know, when people talk about my music, they're talking about women like that. Mm -hmm. I hope that I am so lucky as to be able to like have a long career like them. And, and, you know, like someone like Bonnie Raitt, like, she would like her career has been a slow burn. Like she's just now getting yeah. Grammys and all. Well, that's not true. I think she did when she was younger, get a Grammy, but you know, like last year she won for song of the year, like crazy, right. you know? Right. And, and I feel that way about me. Like I, I didn't have like a ton of early success. It's been, it's been a slow kind of steady thing. And I'm, and I'm hoping it continues and I can stick around for a long time, you know, but I get, yeah you know, I see like a lot of these young kids and they get like a ton of success early on. And I wonder like where they'll be in 10 years, you know? Right. So for me, yeah. I'm just like, cool. If y'all are comparing me to Emily Harris, maybe that means we'll still be talking in 30 years. Maybe. I hope that'd be awesome. I hope so. I um, hope so too. Yeah. Because it's not like these are greats who you know, released a string of albums in the seventies. And then that was it. Like these are greats who are still going and and who are still influencing all these years on. So yeah, I mean, we would all be so lucky to be involved in a conversation with them, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> if you had like a Mount Rushmore of people in this genre, like, do you know, like roughly who you would put up there? Ooh, that's such a cool question. Okay, how many people are on Mount Rushmore? <laughs> Is it five? It's four, I think. It's four. Okay. Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. Bonnie Raitt. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan. Call Me Basic. Bob Dylan okay. is on there. Emmylou Harris. Sure. Why not? Why not include Emmylou? Yeah. And I mean, there are so many people who are phenomenal in this, in this vein, Ooh. in this folk. Can I add a fifth? Can I add a fifth one? It's, it's your mountain. Do whatever you want. I'm adding a fifth one and it's Terry Allen. Oh, I don't know them. Oh, Terry Allen. Um, he is a Texas artist, visual artist and songwriter, musician. Um, a great place to start with his music is this album called Lubbock on Everything. He's from Lubbock. He's from the Texas Panhandle. Um, moved to LA when he was really young with his wife. 
to be a visual artist, Mm. did actually make a name for himself in the art world. He makes sculptures, painting, like he's a genius, but he also has made these quirky, funny, incredible albums that are stories. You know, each song is a story. I mean, it's, it's incredible music so i would have to add terry allen to my not rushmore yeah no that's cool i'm glad that we had one that i didn't know and i and i and i, and I wonder if he is a bit undersung in this genre yeah he's a little bit niche i think yeah. he's not like as well known yeah but he definitely has like a cult following okay yeah that seems like the kind of person that would have a cult following mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then as for like uh, super recent stuff, I mean, do you listen to this kind of music on your own? Like, are there country Americana folk records from the past year or two that you think we like really need to listen to? Well, yes, I can tell you. Besides like Time and Accidental, of, of course. course. Yes, my <laughs> record. Um, I really like Miranda Lambert. Okay. I really like Casey Musgraves. Okay. Um, there's this girl I recently met in Nashville whose music I love. Her name's Bella White. And she put out a beautiful record recently that Jonathan Wilson produced that I love. Okay. Um, I also love Esther Rose. She mm. lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico and has a really cool record that came out this year that I love. Um, who else? My friend Anna St. Louis just put out a really gorgeous record. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so much good stuff. I know. My friend uh, Ben Schwab has a band called Sylvie that I adore. And my friend Sam Burton put out an amazing record this year, also produced by Jonathan Wilson. <laughs> I mean, that's a good so mess. much good music. And then just today, not in this genre at all, mm-hmm. the Andre 3000 flute record oh, yes. came out and I've been listening all morning. I'm obsessed. Well, isn't it like two hours long? <laughs> Is it? I don't know. I feel it looked really long to me, but I don't actually know. I'm so curious, actually. How long for those who for those who are not aware, because the news did just break. I mean, you're aware by the time you're listening to this, I'm sure. But it's Andre an 3000, hour and a half. Oh, an there you go. Ninety yeah. minutes. Andre three thousand just put out what is remarkably his first solo album, which is bizarre. Um, of ninety minutes of like flute, drone music, ambient music, mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, it's really good. And not Americana at all, but in a way. You can make that case. In a way. Um, One last question that I solicited from my Beats Per Minute um, brethren, because I I always ask, you know, hey, I'm interviewing so-and-so later. Any questions you guys want to know? Our reviews editor asked what you hope to get out of this Adrian Lanker songwriting class. Oh, my God. Which is an amazing piece of news. Okay, so here's what's so crazy. So I had a dream... (laughs) about Adrian Linker. Um, and in the dream, we were emailing. Mm. Um, and it was like in the dream, I had emailed her something not to really expect, not expecting a response. And in my dream, she wrote back this like really long, thoughtful, beautiful response. And then I woke up the next day and I see on the internet that she's teaching a songwriting workshop. And Mm. then I read the description um, that I assume she wrote about the workshop. And one of the things that she says is that one of the things she wants to focus on is um, 
she believes that songs really come from your unconscious mind and that mm-hmm. really the the work as a songwriter is to do what we need to do to make sure that that isn't blocked that that channel isn't blocked so that we can access that place hmm. and um i am working on writing right now because i have some downtime and i um am working on writing my next record and i read that description and i was just like she was in my dream last night we were emailing and now there's a songwriting workshop like i'm just gonna sign up you have to yeah and um i signed up and i really love her music i think she's an amazing songwriter and so i mean really what i hope to gain is just maybe a little bit of an expanded mind around songwriting like i think something that i do that is a strength with my songwriting is i'm really like pretty literal like i really feel like it's important to tell a cohesive story in my songs mm-hmm. um and i'll kind of obsess over just like one or two words like how do you make this like a really complete thought and something i notice about her songwriting is it's sort of the opposite it's like a lot of images and mm-hmm. um feelings and textures and i stop myself from doing that i think because i feel like oh that's not clear that's not the story but what she does is really powerful and so i'm curious if by doing this songwriting workshop if maybe i can learn to do that or be pushed to like experiment mm-hmm. and and do that and maybe maybe it leads me somewhere totally new yeah I've I've done one of the school of songs before with um with Laura Vares. Oh, cool. Um and it was fun. I mean, that was I think in a that was a much smaller, I think, class than this is gonna be because Adrian Linker's like I mean, Big Thief is huge. Yeah. So um I think it's gonna be a, a crowded room of cool, talented, interested people. Um, but it's fun. And you do you come out with four songs, even if you don't like love, love them, you come out with four songs. And then that's, well, that's four cool. things. Yeah. Four th- if you, you know, if you do the homework. Um yeah. you come out with four songs. And that's that's that was really neat. I have my four songs still. Um, you know, they're not perfect because you write them pretty quickly. Um, but it's kind of cool to see like with these lessons and prompts and ideas and things you like missions you have to accomplish for this song. At least that's how Laura ran hers. It was interesting and it was a cool little exercise. So yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be great. I mean, I I am a big Thief fan, but I think I'm a bigger Adrian Lenker fan. Yeah. You know, her I two know, solo records, mean. her two solo records are just stunning records. Yeah. Like unbelievable songwriting, like like out of this world. And I like Big Thief, yeah, but there's something really about special. the yeah, there's something about her undistilled that I'm or, or distilled, I should say, that's just like Mm-hmm. so so cool um so yeah that'll be fun um all right well that's all my notes that's all i've got um cool. yeah so as we said at the top this was not a promo this is not really a promo chat this is a reflection this is a year in review of jess williamson who put out um oh geez fifth record yeah fifth record i guess right uh time ain't accidental on mexican summer back in june you can stream it buy it listen to it now and you are going on tour in the winter so that'll be cool um thank you so much for hanging out for a bit today it's been fun thank you thanks for having me